Harbor for the Arts. I am your host, classical singer, Bree Cooper. I'm so excited that you have taken time out of your busy schedule to join us for this very special crossover episode with our guest, Emily May of the organization Hollaback. Harassment in all forms affects everyone in the performing arts and the creative arts community. So this episode is also airing on my other podcast, Cooper and Company, where I talk more about politics and community engagement, but I thought it was so timely and very important that we discuss this. So I hope you enjoy today's podcast. And again, the mission of this podcast is to engage and inspire everyone in the performing arts and arts community to continue to do their work as well as new people and new guests who are interested in learning more about performing arts. This episode today is being sponsored by Capital Chic Design Stationery. If you use my promo code COOPER15, you will get 15% off your next order. Don't forget to pay attention to any exclusions that might apply. And by the way, I'd like to say thank you to my associate producer, Cindy Lynn, for assisting me in this entire podcast production. In our global society, there is a high prevalence for street harassment. In 2014, a representative survey of 2,000 Americans work was conducted. 25% of men and 65% of women reported having been the victim of street harassment in their lives, which is a form of harassment, primarily sexual harassment that consists of unwanted comments, gestures, honking by strangers in public areas such as streets, shopping malls, and public transportation. Not only does this type of harassment occur on our streets, but it also carries over into our workplace in varying degrees. As the increase in cases happen, people need to be more aware and educated about street and workplace harassment and how we can take a stand to prevent it or how we can deal with it after it occurs. Therefore, we've invited a very important guest today who has been fully involved in combating street harassment since 2005. Let's welcome Emily May, the co-founder and executive director of the Hollaback Hollaback is a photo blog and grassroots initiative to raise awareness about street harassment and workplace harassment by posting photographs and narrative accounts of individuals' encounters. It's an organization run by local activists in 79 cities, 26 countries, and operates in 14 languages. And today we are so glad to have Emily May here. Let's give her a big welcome. Yay! Oh, thank you so much for having me. Such a pleasure to be here. Well, I really appreciate it. Can you please teach our listeners about what street harassment is and even a few examples of street harassment? Um, considering some of our listeners might not even know that, like I said, there's an actual name associated with this type of harassment. Yeah, absolutely. So street harassment is really on a spectrum of violence, right? And so at one end of the spectrum, you see those nonverbal things, things like staring at somebody. And I'm not talking about looking at somebody, you know, walking down the street. I'm talking about staring like straight through them or things like following 
elbowing, stalking, gestures. We also have verbal forms of harassment, like comments about your body or your identity. And then on the other sort of more extreme end of that spectrum, we see things like groping, stalking, public exposure are examples of harassment. And broadly, what we're trying to build at Hollaback is a world in which you have the right to be who you are, wherever you are. And that when you say hello to your neighbor, you never have to worry that it's going to escalate into something much worse. Can you give us an in-depth introduction about your organization and what you do? Yes. So Hollaback is a global movement to end harassment in all of its forms. We started off in 2005, really focused, you know, on this issue of street harassment, um, collecting stories and and photos, right? And 15,000 stories later, um, we have branched out into looking at harassment in the workplace, harassment online, and also looking at the many different forms of harassment. Harassment can obviously, you know, be based in gender, but can also be based in race or sexuality, disability, and so many more. And so now our organization has really expanded. Um, There's a huge demand for trainings that's really unprecedented in my 15 years of doing this work. And so since the pandemic started, we've actually trained 25,000 people, um, largely in in bystander intervention. Um, We have a great partnership on bystander intervention to address anti-Asian, anti-Asian American harassment. Another one on addressing um, anti-Black harassment and police brutality. So we've just been, you know, hard at work getting these trainings out there to really meet the demands of this moment where people are asking, you know, how can I be a better person? How can I show up? for my neighbors in a different way. Um, Since you're the co-founder of the Hollaback organization, what made you want to establish this type of organization? You know, when I started this, I was, I was a wee one. I was 24 years old. (laughs) Um, And quite frankly, it was not some sort of like complicated plan. (laughs) It was just, you know, (laughs) me being sick of walking down the street, having to hear all kinds of awful things about how I looked and what so-and-so wanted to do to me. And so, you know, I just felt hopeless about it. And I felt like, look, you know, if people said this kind of stuff to me in the workplace, somebody would do something about it. Um, Largely, you know, because of trailblazers and folks like Anita Hill, for example, who, you know, showed people that this hurts, this matters. And we thought, you know, we're all carrying these, you know, newfangled 2005 cell phone cameras in our hands, you know, what can we do to show people that, you know, this happens and that it matters and that it's not just us being hypersensitive, um, that this really starts to chip away at who you are. And so we started documenting it and it was only, you know, it was five years after documenting it and running that photo blog that we pivoted and turned it into a nonprofit organization because we just saw such tremendous demand. I mean, people were like hungry for somebody somewhere to, you know, say, look, this isn't okay. You're not alone. And this shouldn't be happening to you. Um, and we really grown from there, you know, started off really focused in on, on, um, women, LGBTQ folks, and, you know, recognizing that there are so many different ways in which you can be harassed, um, discriminated against, treated as less than in this world. And, you know, and that it's not just enough for us to, um, figure this out for ourselves. We've got to figure this out for our sisters and our brothers facing, um, you know, 
equally awful forms of discrimination. Um, and so that's really how, you know, Hollaback has started and, and also how it's expanded to, to grow beyond um, just the street harassment that we looked at 15 years ago into really a, a broad and, and perpetual affront to harassment in all of its forms. You know, as I listen to you tell us this um, perspective of how the organization was established and the purpose behind it, I recall several incidents where, you know, I would go home school and I would tell my mom that some guy said whatever it was. I don't even remember what it was, but it was something that I remember it was just not right. And I probably was in junior high. And the sad part is that when I think back on it, it was so accepted. I remember her telling me, you know, you just have to keep yourself safe. Don't say anything back, but guys will be guys. That's how they are, you know, and that's it. So how do you think it's changed over the years? And I'm so glad that your organization exists because we can say I shouldn't have to tolerate that. When as, as a junior high school person, I did have to tolerate. I just had to be like, okay, well, that's how it is. And you know what? Most um, women in this country start getting harassed around the age of 11 or 12. And so you are not, you know, alone in that, in that experience. And I, and I think that, you know, one of the greatest gifts of my life has been able to watch this issue um, really evolve over the past 15 years since we started Hollaback. And, you know, when we started it, people, yeah, they accepted it. Uh, it was, you know, if you had a problem with it, it's because you weren't tough enough. Right. Um, right and and right. even, even, you know, older women who I would look toward for, for mentorship, you know, would be like, well, you think it's bad now. You should have seen it in the seventies, right? Which, which, you know, I don't know. I wasn't alive in the seventies. It could have been terrible in the seventies. And yet still it wasn't good today. You know, <laughs> I was getting street harassed like three, four times a day when I started oh, Hollaback. And, you know, I would walk down the street just paralyzed in fear. And, you know, and that experience is certainly still happening. I don't think, I don't want to say that the shift is that, you know, harassment no longer, no longer happens. Cause I certainly, you know, I'm, I'm on the front lines and know that, that it does all the time. But I think what the shift is, is that it used to be this like radical idea that street harassment was a problem or that it wasn't okay. You know, like radical, right? It was even a radical idea to give street harassment an official sounding name, like street harassment, instead of calling it catcalling or just the crap that oh, guys right. said to you on the street, right? Um, all of that was like, when I started Holla Back, people were like, street what? What? <laughs> street what? <laughs> And like my, uh, my friends would joke with, joke with me and say, you know, that I had like a verbal tick where I'd say street harassment or sexual harassment in public space, you know, <laughs> because I, I just couldn't take street what. <laughs> um, and so, um, and so now people are like, oh, street harassment, that's a thing. Oh yeah. I know that's not okay. Right. You know, they are, and it, and they don't see it as like a personal problem <laughs> that you're not tough enough, uh, to tough it out. And, and I think what's cool now is that now we really get to talk about the ways that it impacts people differently because, you know, street harassment is a very different experience based on your age, based on your race, based on, you know, your income level, right? And, and that's this piece of it, right? That, that isn't, that really hasn't, I think, been explored to the extent to which it needs to be, um, is how all of these things filter into it. Because what we know is that the people who, and granted, street harassment can happen to anybody, including men, including straight white men, right? But it's disproportionately happening to young people, uh, people of color, LGBTQ folks, women, right? This, these are the folks who are 
really disproportionately um, impacted by this issue. And so now we get to have that conversation and start to tie the links, you know, as you, as you did early on in this podcast, like, let's not just talk about our experience walking down the street. Let's talk about our experience in the workplace. Let's talk about our experience online because we experience our lives as sort of a continuous journey, not as sort of one location. And yet even our activist movements have really been split out between, you know, the people over here who do online harassment, the people over here who do workplace harassment, and the people over there that do street harassment. Um, and so now is really this opportunity for us to come together and, and bring this intersectional lens so that we're not just riding these little waves of, okay, now they're paying attention to your issue and now they're paying attention to your issue, but we're really able to ride it like a, like a monsoon you know, and, and then focus in on the many, many different ways in which many, many different people um, are treated mm -hmm. as less than for just than being who they are, for just for being who they are. Why do you think that it's usually women or some marginalized community that are harassed even more? Uh, why do you, have, have you guys come up with some sort of data that says, well, this is why, or do you think it's just one of those things that that's just because we're women? or you know we're a marginalized community or we mm -hmm. feel like maybe we exude less power or subconsciously you know we feel like we don't have as much power what do you think that comes from well i think it's racism i think mm -hmm. it's sexism i think it's homophobia i think mm -hmm. it's power and privilege mm -hmm. and the fight for power and privilege and how mm -hmm. that plays out in so many different spaces, which is different, right? In, in the many spaces in which we, um, in which we operate. And ultimately I think, you know, harassment in, in any form is just a symptom of, of all of that. Um, but sometimes, you know, in our, it's hard, it's hard to fight the, 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 the giant messy ball of racism, sexism, homophobia, all of that, right? Sometimes yeah. you have to look at, some of the symptoms of, of what that disease causes and how that disease shows up in, in our society um, and start to solve for that. And I think, you know, one of the things that I, the piece of work that, that I've been, thought has been so important um, to, to both Hollaback and the broader movement to address harassment in all of its forms is bystander intervention. You know, and, and that is ways in which people can show up for each other when they see each other being harassed. And what that does, I think, is it not only, you know, helps that person being harassed in the moment, it also starts to create a culture where we are consistently telling each other, like, this isn't the world I want to live in. This isn't what I want. This isn't what I believe in. This isn't what I stand for. Like, this isn't going to be tolerated. Um, and it takes lots of little actions like that to really create a culture. But you equate that to, God, like any, any fashion trend, any fashion trend, like, you know, and all of a sudden it's like, it, you know, one little person wearing Uggs, for example, remember that one? Oh, uh, right. Or, yeah. I know, remember one that. One little person wearing Uggs <laughs> is just somebody in an ugly booty. Right. But all of a sudden everyone's wearing Uggs and you got a whole world of Uggs. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, what if instead of wearing Uggs, we all intervened when we saw each other getting harassed? You know, it, it, it's a little thing, but it adds up quickly. As I researched your website, I love the fact that um, not only can people kind of get things off of their chest saying, this is what I've experienced, because to me, that made it, it made me feel like it's all valid. 
So yeah. even if someone tries to take that power away and said, what are you talking about? That's not right. You know, you're, you're wrong. You're crazy or whatever. It is valid. And the other component that I really appreciated was the fact that you're also giving training. You're giving tools to help bystanders learn to speak up when they see something that's just not quite right. It takes these little actions to empower not only that one person, but then it empowers the next person. So tell me about Hollaback. It's, the name is really interesting. What's the meaning behind it? I mean, I can figure it out, but what is, the mean, <laughs> what is your meaning behind it? What's the original intention of how you chose that name? And especially yeah. since it has an exclamation at the end. Yeah, we just, you know, look, we weren't trying to name a nonprofit organization. At the time, we were just trying to name a little a little blog, a little blog started by a bunch of kids. Um, and we loved it because it wasn't, uh, you know, streetharassmentsucks.com, right? It was, it was you know, a, a response. It wasn't, we thought of it as like an empowered response to harassment. Um, and, you know, and I think the thing about harassment in any form, whether it's paid discrimination or comments, right? It takes away your, your feeling of, of power in the world, right? It takes away your agency. It makes you feel um, like there's nothing that you can do, that you just have to endure, right? And so, so true. you know, we wanted something that was like, no, like you get hollowed out, holla back, right? <laughs> and um, and um, we thought that that was just like, you know, that was it, right? That was the, the, the vision. And, and, you know, and still we have so many people coming into our organization, experiencing harassment, looking for that perfect solution, which, you know, we have lots. And unfortunately, there's none of them are perfect, right? And the idea is, look, we may not have some kind of perfect solution to this. We have options. And regardless of whether we have a, a perfect solution, there's lots of ways in which you can figure out how to build resilience within yourself, within the world, to remind yourself that you're worth it, that you're amazing, even if the world around you can't acknowledge it yet. They're not there yet, right? Um, and also, let's put like the responsibility where the responsibility is due. It's not your responsibility to have a perfect response to harassment. It's their responsibility not to harass you to begin with. Right? Oh, wow. So, oh, my goodness. Yes. So <laughs> if anybody needs to be doing some work on themselves, it's not you, unless you're That's harassing amazing. people. <laughs> never heard it put that way. I mean, that's perfect. Yeah. So I want to focus on some of my, you know, like I said, this is a crossover episode. So I have some performing artists and creative artists that'll probably be listening to this. Um, over 85% of performing artists rely on a nine to five job to make ends meet. And um, we often put up with things in the workplace because we need a job and we're kind of like, sometimes it's a temp assignment and it's kind of like, okay, well, we're just going to do what we need to do. But what, what is important to realize um, is that harassment comes in many forms. Can you name a few in the workplace that sometimes people think it's just sexual? But as I research your website, I'm like, oh, wow, it's that. It's, it's, it's so many components. Can you name a few, um, just in case some of our listeners out there are saying, is this harassment? Is this not harassment? I'm feeling really powerless. Yes, absolutely. So we have what we call, you know, in the workplace, a spectrum of disrespect. Um, and look, disrespect can happen for many reasons. People are stressed. People have different communication style on and on. But one of those reasons is bias, right? And so I think what's tricky about watching disrespect in the workplace is that, you know, it, it 
is that bias is part of it, right? And so because bias is part of it, we see the people experiencing this kind of stuff disproportionately women, people of color, LGBTQ folks, right? Um, those are also, by the way, the same folks who are going to be more willing to intervene on your behalf if you experience any kind of harassment or disrespect in the workplace because they know what it's like. Um, but some of that stuff, right, is not listening or speaking over people, um, intentionally undermining people, um, failing to greet or acknowledge certain people. I think we see that, right? Bob walks in the room, right? Maybe Bob's everybody's boss, right? All of a sudden, you know, Susie, the janitor walks in the room and nobody's like, Susie, (laughs) Um, uh, you know, even, you know, things like an inability to try new or different ideas or favoritism, right, is part of this. Um, and then as you move down that spectrum, you start to look at things like shaming or humiliation. Um, and look, people are smart. This oftentimes looks like jokes, but they're jokes that aren't funny, right? Right, <laughs> and, um, right. Or refusing to acknowledge the contributions of others, right? Like you have an idea. It's a great idea. People ignore it, right? All of a sudden I have an idea. Oh, Emily's idea, right? Like, you know, you see that kind of dynamic in the workplace. Um, and oftentimes that will be based on power, privilege, right? All of that is part of it. Um, even things like making faces, rolling eyes, we see a lot in the workplace. And none of this is okay, right? And when we have a culture that allows for not listening or speaking over people, it creates a culture in which things like shaming, humiliation in the form of jokes becomes a little more okay, right? And when we have shaming and humiliating jokes, it creates a culture in which inappropriate comments or sexual innuendos become a little more okay. And so this stuff tends to ratchet itself up and become quite, you know, virally toxic um, in the workplace pretty quickly. Um, And so ultimately, frankly, I think, you know, a lot that HR departments can and should be doing, and yet they are only one part of that system. I think we also have to look towards each other and within ourselves and, and see how can I support my coworker? How can I impact this situation? So do you think, this is another loaded question, do you think we should criminalize offensive speech and hate speech? And if so, how do you think that'll threaten the First Amendment? I do not think we should criminalize it. I think that, I mean, well, let me just say, first of all, I think the criminal justice system is pretty broke. Um, You know, and I think that um, there has long been, you know, tremendous fears from communities of color that if we were to criminalize things like street harassment, for example, um, that that those types of laws would be disproportionately used against low-income communities and communities of color. Um, Aside from that, though, you know, this this stuff this stuff harassment disrespect this is like this is not a, a couple bad apples that we're talking about that it, you know that if we just get a couple bad apples like you know behind jail then this problem will be solved this is a larger um, problem with our culture and and I don't mean anybody in specific culture right but a broader culture of racism and sexism and homophobia and all that right and so we gotta. Um, you know, we got to take this on differently. We got to take this on as a, as a problem, as a disease of our culture, not a disease of individuals um, inside of our culture. And we got to look for solutions that involve all of us that aren't about throwing people behind bars. Because at the end of the day, if you were to report every incident of harassment or disrespect that you experienced, um, 
you know, there's a large portion of the population that would spend their entire days at the police station. <laughs> um, and I don't know about you, but I don't have time for all that. Like, I, you know, and, and that's not what I want, right? Ultimately, I want, you know, I want the best for these people who harass too. Like, I want them to be able to feel seen and heard and have their emotional needs met or whatever is going on for them that is causing them to, you know, act out in this, you know, most unkind way. Um, so I think we need to be more thoughtful and creative in our, in our solutions. In January 2011, Hollaback scaled internationally, and we are so delighted to see it move forward and outward. As the co-founder, as well as the full-time executive director of Hollaback, what are your future plans for Hollaback, and what do you and your team want to accomplish in the next, let's say, five years? That's a great question. Um, you know, so we have been doing just oodles of trainings. And I think, you know, I, I once um, shadowed uh, Cecile Richards, who, you know, was a former president of Planned Parenthood um, and told her, you know, you know, how, how do you do it? Like, what's your, what's the key to success? And she's like, look, Emily, you can't just do advocacy. You have to do direct service. And I was like, okay, so what is the, you know, mammogram <laughs> of, of harassment. Um, and, you know, and I think that it's, um, I think the mammogram of harassment is truly these, these trainings, right? And so many people get terrible trainings in their workplaces. And so, you know, we're doing a lot of that as a way of showing up and saying, first of all, let's not have terrible trainings on <laughs> diversity <laughs> inclusion. Let's not have terrible trainings on sexual harassment. Like let's, let's do this intervention, right? You know, because if you have a terrible mammogram, you're not going to be so pumped to do your like self exam in the shower right. either, you know? Right. Um, and so, and so that's, you know, that's certainly a stepping stone, but ultimately what I want to, um, build is not just this perpetual affront against harassment, um, but actually space for envisioning, you know, the opposite of harassment, which is deep and meaningful relationships. How can we figure out how to have deep and meaningful relationships with one another? And part of that is like undoing implicit bias, right? But you know, that's a, that's, that feels like a, a low bar in a way. Like also part of that is learning how to, you know, hold critique, not take it so dang personally, right? Part of that is being able to have generative conflict. Part of that is just knowing that it's okay to love up on somebody with your whole heart. Um, and so I want to figure out how can we create more spaces for people to be in those kinds of meaningful relationships and have that be the antidote that ultimately undoes harassment. Hollaback has held many events around the world designated to raise awareness about street harassment, including film screenings and lectures, demonstrations, and book talks. Are there any events that you want to share that are coming up soon? Yes, we have have a bunch of free trainings uh, coming up. We have a training on uh, how to respond to gender-based harassment using bystander intervention, totally free. We have another free training on implicit bias. So if you go to our website um, and click on that get trained button, you can see all of our, all of our training options and, you know, click around until you find one that has some upcoming dates that work for you. Um, you know, I, uh, it's free, nothing, to, nothing to lose.
Thank you so much for joining us today, Emily. How can our listeners, including our performing and creative artists in our community, become more involved in preventing harassment and standing up to it in our communities? Yeah, come to our website at iHollaback.org. That's I-H-O-L-L-A-B-A-C-K.org. Um, and, uh, and join us, right? Join a training and we will take you on a journey from there. And if our listeners would like to reach out to Hollaback, you can email Holla back at holla at iHollaback.org. That's H-O-L-L-A at I-H-O-L-L-A-B-A-C-K.org. Um, their Facebook page, Twitter page, and Instagram. And Emily, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's all Holla back with exclamation. Is that correct? Yes. Do you have an app? For the iPhone? We do. We have a oh. free Hollaback app where you can document your stories of harassment um, and put them up on a map and um, and share them with us so that, you know, other folks can know that they're not alone. You can also document instances of bystander intervention as well. Wonderful. Wonderful. I hope everyone enjoyed today's episode of Cooper and Company. Thank you again to our guest, Emily May. If you would like to contact our show, and you would like to email us or give us feedback, feel free to email us at Company at gmail.com. A huge thank you to Cindy Lynn, our associate producer for the show. And remember, don't wait for change. Be the change you wish to see in the world. Bye.